It's Thursday, January 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, from the financial capital of the United States of America, it's Maria Gallagher. Good to see you. Nice to see you, too. We have got another piece of the holiday retail puzzle. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to a stock that has doubled in the past week. But we're going to start with airlines, specifically Delta, wrapping up the worst fiscal year in the company's history. Fourth quarter revenue was 65% lower than a year ago. I suppose if you're looking for a silver lining, it's the fact that Delta is not burning as much cash as they had been previously. Um, Certainly, there's a little bit of optimism because shares of Delta up about 4% this morning. Yeah, Delta actually, while it was a terrible year, uh, this quarter was better than expected. So, the total revenue was $3.97 billion versus an expected $3.6 billion. And like you said, that's down about 65%. And their cash burn averaged $12 million a day, whereas in quarter three, it averaged about $24 million a day. So they cut that cash burn in half. And so they also laid out their expectations for March and for 2021. So for March, their uh, total revenue is going to be down around 60 to 65%. They're, um, they're anticipating average daily cash burn in 10 to $15 million range. But they did talk in a really optimistic tone about 2021. They say they see three distinct phases. The early part of the year is that choppy demand recovery. And then they're seeing an inflection point in 2021 as more people start to travel, get the vaccine. And so I think they're banking on that pent up demand to recover in the second half of the year, probably around. And then that sustained demand recovery um, for the rest of 2021 to get them back to more positive revenue and earnings in the next year. So while the quarter and the 2020 was really tough for Delta, um, it had some somewhat of an optimistic note at the end of this report. And I'm assuming they didn't go into um, the, I was going to say the level of detail, but it's not even the level of detail. I I suppose they weren't as blunt as I'm about to be. But I I think if you are looking at the airline stocks, if they're on your watch list and you're thinking, maybe I'm going to invest into this, one of the things that has to go in the plus column is the fact that at some point in 2021, If things go as we all hope they're going to go, Delta and other airlines are 100% going to jack up prices. (laughs) I mean, when when we talk about companies that have pricing power, we're typically looking at businesses like Apple or even a business like Costco or Netflix, which provides a service that over time they're methodically able to jack up prices just, you know, a little bit, you know, a couple of bucks here and there. In the case of the airlines, I mean, don't you think that Delta and all these other airlines, once people start flying again, we're going to see airline ticket prices rise dramatically? Yeah, I would expect that, especially as some of the budget airlines aren't going to do as well in the next year. You already saw WOW went bankrupt in the past couple of years. Um, I don't know what Ryanair is going to look like in the next couple of years. So if you have less choices and if safety is more of a priority, so if in the past you would say, I'll kind of fly anything, but now you say, no, I really want that middle seat to be empty and I really want all of these kind of kind of uh, accommodations for me moving forward, that's going to mean that you'll pay up for that if you're able to travel in the next year. So I think that that's a fair 
assessment and I was actually surprised because the Transportation Security Administration actually screened 324 million travelers last year, which was down from 824 in 20, 824 million in 2019, but it's still higher than I would think of uh, the amount of people that traveled in 2020. Yeah, and again, you have to assume that number is going up this year. So it, it, it will be interesting to see. I, I guess from a stock perspective, it's not going to surprise me if at some point in, let's just call it somewhere between the spring and early summer, uh, you know, w one of the lead stories in the business world is airline stocks across the board, you know, up anywhere from, you know, three to 10% because of ticket hikes. We'll see. Shares of GameStop, meanwhile, are up 14% this morning. They have doubled in the past week. GameStop. We're talking about GameStop doubling in the past week. Did, what are they doing? Did, did, is GameStop working on a COVID-19 vaccine? Did they partner with Peloton and they're coming out with a line of high-end uh, fitness uh, furniture that you can sit on and play video? Like, what is GameStop doing that has the stock doubling in a week? So there were two reasonably good things that came out of GameStop in the past week. So their holiday sales, their net sales were uh, d down only about 3%, uh, still at $1.7 Their e-commerce sales were up 309%. It's now roughly a third of sales, and they surpassed their $1 billion objective for e-commerce sales. And then also Ryan Cohen, who people might be familiar with from Chewy.com, is now an activist investor, and him and two other men are being added to the board immediately. So now the board of GameStop is five of the nine board members are activists from either this year or last year. And so I think that that gives people confidence of what's going to happen in the future. So Ryan Cohen owns about 13% of the company. So he's really trying to streamline e-commerce. He's really trying to make GameStop a turnaround. So those are the two moderately good news um, items that came out of GameStop. And then what happened is because it was sold short so much, we saw something called a short squeeze, which means people were trying to pay to cover their shorts and then it popped up. And then um, Jim Gillies, who covers the stock more closely than I do, and I talked about this on Slack earlier, uh, he refers to it as the mar market equivalent of musical chairs. So a bunch of folks who were short panicked, tried to close their positions. And then as they did, other people noticed and people who weren't short started buying to drive the price up and then panic the shorts even more. So he calls that musical chairs. I said he should call it musical shares. Um, but so <laughs> that was something you saw kind of two reasonable results. And then a lot of people who sold short panicked. So the reasonable results, I, you know, I, I've, I've poked plenty of fun uh, at GameStop as a business over the years. I mean, the, the, the two bits of good news that you mentioned, um, certainly the first one makes sense to me just because for over a year now, um, we've been hearing about not just the, the video game makers, but the console makers talking about holiday 2020 as being a big year for consoles. So it, it sort of makes sense that there would be this ripple effect for a business like GameStop. I wasn't aware of the activist investors, so I, I, I can see how that would scare uh, anyone who has sold this stock short. Um, it, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see where GameStop goes from here because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's still... <laughs> It's still GameStop. It's you know the the uh, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not betting against the video game industry. I think it's a it's an incredible industry to be invested in and and has a long runway ahead of it. It remains to be seen if if GameStop is is part of that runway in the future. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting that this is what Ryan Cohen is doing after Chewy.com. And I mean, I think his history shows that he can really dominate an e-commerce market with something that is traditionally known to be a retail play, such as pet food. So I'm really interested to see what he's going to do in the next couple of years with the company and what his plan is moving forward. I think that having him um, on the board is going to be really fascinating moving forward for this company. Yesterday on the show, we talked about Urban Outfitters holiday comps being nearly 10% lower than a year ago. And Nordstrom wishes that their holiday same-store sales looked that good. Instead, Nordstrom's holiday comps were down 22% compared to a year ago, and shares of Nordstrom falling about 4% this morning. This, You tell me, how, how tough a spot is Nordstrom in as a retailer? So I think that Nordstrom kind of exists in this unprofitable gray area in between the big warehouse retailers that people love to go to, like a TJ Maxx, a Target, and a Marshalls, and then the more high-end boutique stores that people would go to, or high-end boutique that you'll get online. And I think that Nordstrom isn't quite cheap enough to be off-brand or isn't quite expensive enough to be boutique. Nordstrom Rack is kind of their alternative. So they really exist now in a completely different retail environment than when it was founded in 1901 as a shoe store. So they haven't been able, I think, to adapt their brand in the way they would need to to survive. They've shifted a little bit to e-commerce. Their digital sales were up 23% and they worked 54% of total sales. Um, I just don't think that Nordstrom is going to have, you know, like a turnaround story where it has to pick a lane. It's either high end or it's, um, or it's kind of like cheaper knockoffs and it's kind of just not picked either lane. And so it just kind of sits in the middle and I I don't see how that's going to change in the next couple of years. And not helping matters is um, this is a family run business and the family has made it pretty clear over the last, let's call it five years, that they're not necessarily in this for the long haul. At, at various points, we've seen the Nordstrom family come out and say, yeah, we're, we're interested in selling this, we're exploring strategic alternatives. Uh, sometimes the stock bounces back up and the, and the asking price gets higher, and then maybe some of the family members are more interested in it. Uh, so again, that, that, that complicates things. Five years from now, what do you think Nordstrom is? Do you think it is still a standalone public company? And if so, is it one you think people are going to want to own? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets bought by a private equity firm. Um, they have 358 stores, which is actually lower than I would have thought. 100 are pure Nordstrom stores. 249 are rack Nordstrom rack stores. Two are clearance and seven is that Nordstrom local. They really, I think a lot of those Nordstrom branded stores are in malls. And so I think that I wouldn't be surprised if they got bought by private equity and kind of shifted more, leaned more into Nordstrom rack more than they already have um, and kind of tried to become in a more profitable e-commerce play. Um, I'm not quite sure what what it would look like, um, but I wouldn't be surprised. Because it does seem like there's actual brand equity there in terms of the clothing. As you said, it's it's you know it's not necessarily at the boutique level, but just from a business standpoint, you know some of the things you're saying about Nordstrom, you may as well be saying these the exact same things about Macy's, which I, I think is sort of in that gray area where they're they're built for a different age. And I think between the two, if either one of them is going to make a viable leap to 
uh, being a standalone business with a, a much more robust e-commerce presence, it seems like it would be Nordstrom in you know for a number of reasons. One of which is they're much more focused in terms of what they sell. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I do think that Nordstrom Rack is a viable alternative. Um, I don't know many people. I don't think I know anyone who's ever shopped at Nordstrom in the way that I don't know very many people who have shopped at Macy's. But I've shopped at Nordstrom Rack. I know a lot of people have shopped at Nordstrom Rack for kind of fancier occasions. If you want to get like a nice dress, I think I got my prom dress at Nordstrom Rack, um, and so I think that that's a viable option of the business. And I would. I would think that they're going to lean more into that. And I don't know that Macy's has that. I guess Macy's has blue mercury, but that's makeup. So I don't know what Macy's could do. Uh, I, uh, one more question I have for you uh, before that quick programming reminder for folks that the market is closed on Monday. Um, so uh, that means we'll see you on Tuesday uh, with the next episode of Market Foolery. Uh, you mentioned Jim Gillies. Something he and I talked about the other day had to do with guidance. And I'm curious um, where you think guidance is going, regardless of industry, because uh, for the past 10 months or so, most companies have either suspended guidance, done away with it altogether. Uh, I'm curious to see, particularly in this earnings season, but especially in the earnings season coming in the spring, uh, where companies decide to go with their guidance. Because my hunch is a lot of them are going to start offering it again. And I think for businesses that decide for whatever reason, however valid their reasons, that they're just not ready to do that yet, I kind of feel like they're going to get punished. Just given everything that's going on with the market, including the market hitting new highs every week or so, um, where do you see guidance going over the next six months or so? I would agree with you. I do think a lot of companies are going to try and come back to some sort of semblance of guidance. I don't know that it'll be as specific as we were maybe used to pre-pandemic, but like Delta's guidance of this is how we see our revenues of the next year playing out, and this is what we're thinking it's going to look like. I could see that in more of a macro sense, understanding that. Um, but I do think that there are expectations baked into so many companies now that there's going to be a really an intense pressure on management in each earnings call to say, this is what our expectations are. This is how we're going to reach the highs that you have already expected us with what our stock price is at right now. And I think that if they don't at least give out a plan for what they're going to do to deserve those premiums, they're going to get dinged. Maria Gallagher, always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. Shows mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Tuesday.